By now, you may be familiar with the cycle God's people live out together and how it forms the closest thing to a plotline in Jeremiah. God forms a family to be God's own and to show the world what God is like, but the people choose instead to go their own way, turning to idolatry, which always creates injustice. God sends prophets to warn them of the consequences that lay ahead of them, but they ignore the warnings. The consequences play out, in this case, in the form of being conquered and taken from the land. And in the midst of that, some people, a remnant, come back to God and walk again on the faithful path that leads to life. Now, one interesting thing is that the cycle happens for the tribes in the north, called Israel, and it happens for those in the south, Judah, who are with us for most of this book as the main group, But the cycle doesn't happen to those two groups at the same time. It happened to Israel first, so Judah could watch it playing out. So bear with me for a sec. In chapter 3, where we're heading, God is warning Judah and will reference Israel's choice to ignore their warnings and how they experienced consequences. But the book was all written after Judah also ignored the warnings, and they are in the midst of the consequences. But the book is here to help them interpret what happened and why, and most importantly, to help them find their way back. So today we'll be in Jeremiah chapter 3, and you may find that if you're able to have a Bible to follow along, it'll make your time a bit easier. Now, if I was going to sum up this chapter we're discussing tonight in one word, it'd be simple. Return. While the people tend to go through this six-phase cycle, the reality is they could disrupt it at any point if they would just return. The word shows up about 15 times in some form in just chapter 3 alone. Right here at the outset, although there is a lot of you done me wrong still ahead, God reminds them, I'm committed to you. I'm faithful, I'm loving, and you can always come back. So let's get started. Jeremiah 3.1 says, If someone dismisses his wife, she goes from him, and she comes to belong to another man. Can he return to her again? Answer, no. In Deuteronomy 24, there's this law that if a couple divorces, then the woman marries again, but is widowed or divorced in that marriage, the man from the first marriage cannot take her back again. By the way, Curtis is going to take a deeper look at this section in the backdrop this week. So if that part of the law is all so clear, why is this where God starts? We already know that God has used the metaphor of marriage to describe the people as unfaithful. And that repeats in chapter 3. But right now in this moment, God is using the metaphor and taking it to a new level to point out just how faithful God is. God is so faithful that God will stay committed even after they've broken the marriage, so to speak. And they totally have. But they didn't just walk this path on their own. First, they watched Israel do it, and then they copied. And God really hoped that Judah would heed the warning of Israel's actions and consequences. The South could learn on the North Sedaim and come home. And we'll see this theme again in future weeks, but God hurts that they didn't. 
And yet God's commitment to them is greater than their choices. Jeremiah 3.12, God says, go and proclaim these words to the north. Say, return Israel who turned. Yahweh's declaration, I won't make my face fall against you because I'm committed. Yahweh's declaration, I don't hold on to things forever. Only acknowledge your waywardness. So can you think of a time when you were driving or maybe shotgun and got lost? I bet actually that whether you were the driver or the passenger shapes how you recall the experience pretty heavily. If you're like me, uh, being lost is real good friends with being mad. And um, Curtis and I have learned this the hard way. So that now there is only one way we go anywhere, new or unknown. I drive, he navigates, and never the two shall switch. The only way to get the way we want to go is to be sure I drive the path that Curtis lays out for me. Directionality is actually really important for us as we listen to Jeremiah. We turn down a path and the path leads away from God. It leads to idolatry and injustice. God says the people are wayward. So returning is to walk back and then choose the other path and begin to walk it instead. The phrase walk in the way of is actually repeated in various parts of the Old Testament quite often. It conveys this sense that turning from God is not just a choice to do wrong things. It's a choice to journey the wrong way with my life, to abandon the navigator. This week, I learned something kind of fun. I learned that the longest stretch of highway with no off-ramp is in Utah on Interstate 70. It is a 110-mile stretch where there are no services, gas, food, bathrooms, and there are no exits. Once you start traveling that stretch between the towns of Salina and Green River, Utah, there is no legal way to turn around. So if I go west on Interstate 70, that's the way I'm going for a darn long time. If God's people go to the gods of the nations for protection or provision, that's the way they're going. And they've been going there for a darn long time. And God warns them here. Hey, you watched this happen before. I called to Israel instead return. She didn't. Where did it lead? Destruction. But this is where God says, hey, this isn't Interstate 70. You don't have to just keep going this way for a good long time. Anytime you can return. Returning then, it's the choice to walk in the way that God has for us. This idea of a path or a way, it's really important. And it's different than this notion that was quite popular, especially through the 20th century, that saw God's way as being more like a box, an obedience box that you stand inside doing obedient things. And disobedience means you've stepped outside of the box and you're going to be punished. Repentance means you get back in the box and you start doing good things again. But it's not like that box. It's like a path. When we go on a path, we expect it to lead somewhere. The metaphor of a path reminds us as we read this passage that the negative consequences of choosing to go the way of idols, those aren't punishment. They're just where the path leads. Jeremiah 3, verses 2 to 3, for example, says, You defiled the country with your whoredom and evil doing. Showers held back. There was no rain. But you had the brazenness of a whore. You refused to be shamed. So 
as we've heard before, the words are strong. And what's the deal with this reference to the weather in the middle? Showers held back, there was no rain. You know, John Golden Gay, the Old Testament scholar, he does such an interesting thing with the word idol through the book of Jeremiah. He writes, no God, as in there's a contrast between Yahweh, who is God, and idols who are no gods. The people turned to no gods who promised rain, and they got no rain. God is not withholding rain as punishment to get them back in the obedience box. God's explaining to them that they walked the path chasing after no gods that can give no rain. And God is inviting them to return and instead go down the path that leads to life. Verse 14, return children who are turning away. And he continues on in 19. I had said how gladly I'd put you among my children and give you a desirable country the loveliest possession of the nations, I'd said you'd call me father and not turn from following me. So this references the original dream that God had. And then it goes on. Actually, as a woman breaks faith with her lover, so you broke faith with me, Israel's household. Yahweh's declaration. As sound makes itself heard on the bare places, which can also be caravan roads, the paths that took travelers away from Israel to other nations, the Israelites weeping that pleads for grace because they've misdirected their way. They've disregarded Yahweh, their God. Return, children who turn away. I'll heal your turnings. That original dream may sound a bit familiar, actually. You are, God says, my child, And I have a whole wonderful inheritance for you. And the child says, I'll take that inheritance and I'll go off to live with it however I please. Thank you very much. Jesus told a story that started the same. And the child walked down a path and it led away from home to a far place where the consequences came of people using him for his money and deserting him until he was working a job with pigs which you may know were unclean. The child walked in a way that led them far from the family, far from the faith. Return children who turn away. I'll heal your turnings, God says. How does that happen? What happens when we return? For one, returning is authentic. Jeremiah 3.10, God says, Judah did not return to me with all her heart. But only in pretense, declares the Lord. Another translation says, they returned with falsehood. Authenticity, coming back with one's full self, however wrong you've been in the past, is the way forward for the faithful. When we talk about authenticity as a core value at Pomona Valley Church, we say we bring our real imperfect selves to God who helps us become who we were made to be. That cannot happen if we don't confess what's real about the way we were walking before. Teresa of Avila said it a different sort of way, and I love how she puts it. She said, oh God, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. Oh God, I don't love you. I don't even want to love you, but I want to want to love you. Returning is authentic as authentic as that. Now, returning is also faithful to Yahweh. 
exclusively. It is exclusive. If this is your first week in Jeremiah with us, this might be new, but otherwise you likely know that God is in deep with this marriage metaphor that keeps making Israel a lot like an unfaithful spouse. And one big reason is how that metaphor will emphasize the lack of exclusivity in the way God's people were going. They went toward all the gods and they wanted Yahweh to still be there. And this isn't about God being possessive. It's about how turning away reveals that the people don't really trust God, not to care for them and not to give them what they would have understood to be a good life. And so returning involves an honest assessment of the idols we've invited to be part of our plan to secure a good life for ourselves. Now, we might miss this if we're evaluating our own would-be idolatry by the absence of crystals or being level-headed about the limitations of essential oils. But that's not what idolatry really looks like. You know, I can tell you that there was a time about six years ago when I realized I had California itself set up as an idol of sorts. And this is how I knew it. I could only really imagine a good life for my family if we lived here did the things that people do here. The idea of living anywhere else, frankly, put sort of a pit in my stomach. And so returning looked like talking to God about my hopes for my future and then practicing trusting God to put joy into my regular days wherever I lived them. And I know I poke fun at Illinois, but our friends there are amazing. And I could list a whole heap of ways that we found the good life with God there. And so we return to just God. And we set about walking a path with just God, not God and. And if we want to get curious about the kinds of things we've maybe added, perhaps we look at our credit card statements, our screen time reports, or our own social media feeds. Returning means we get exclusive. Returning also includes acknowledgement of where we walked instead. And acknowledgement is actually less about words that are said. You see in this text how it's more about the actions that demonstrate the return. We acknowledge where we've been with our actions. Chapter 3 verse 13 says, and this is God speaking, only acknowledge your waywardness. You have rebelled against Yahweh your God. Now, if I drove the wrong way and Curtis says, I need to turn around and I say, yeah, I drove the wrong way. I'm sorry, babe. While still driving that direction, that's not a very helpful acknowledgement. So this is about how the natural evidence of return shows up in demonstrable ways, including in the case of God's people, removing idols. Now, chapter four, verses one and two pick up on this theme. And God says, if you, Israel, will return, then return to me, declares the Lord. If you put your detestable idols out of my sight and no longer go astray, and if in a truthful, just, and righteous way you swear as surely as the Lord lives, then the nations will invoke blessings by God, and in God they will boast. Now, I just read those verses for you from the New International Version, the NIV. One thing it does is phrase this in a way that I think 
almost makes it sound like the point is to take the stone or wood figurine of the idol and just throw it in the trash. That that's the way that we get rid of idolatry is to physically remove the objects. It's not quite the heart of it. And so John Golden Gay's rendering can be helpful here. The same verses has God saying, remove your abominations from in front of me. That's helpful because we've seen from other places in Jeremiah that when God's talking about abomination, it's not strictly that there are idols. It's the injustice that has poisoned the community because of the practices of idolatry. That's why verse 2 says, truthful, just, and righteous. Righteous is a word less about doing the right things and more about being in the right relationship, which includes not abusing or oppressing another. So as just one example, if a person realizes that they have set up money as an idol and that the market's crashing now is the same as drought then, one thing they might do in their return is to give money away, to practice generosity. It'd be an action that would really mark their return to God because it shows trusting God to provide and it also shows care for the people God cares about. Returning includes confession of where we went, but that's because it's a start. God says God will heal our turnings, and that includes mending what's been ripped apart, repairing what's been broken. It's less like saying sorry and more like making reparations. The child who bailed in Jesus' story, he had a great big sorry speech, and it mattered, but I wonder if it mattered more because of how crafting it formed him on the walk back towards his father. I think that's where that child worked out an authentic return, an exclusive return, and a return where he intended to acknowledge what needed to heal. But for the father's part, I think these seven words mattered more. When the child said, I will set out and go back. God's biggest hope is that we'll return because God can help us with authenticity and exclusivity and acknowledgement. That can be a process realized over time, but we're the only ones who can set out and go back. And when we do, we find that God is as committed to us as ever. Amazingly, there are robes and rings and a great celebration that we were dead, but have returned to life.